Hi everyone and welcome to this special edition of Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. A couple of months ago, I interviewed a longtime acquaintance, someone who I covered for a quarter of a century. Me as a reporter, he is chief Palestinian negotiator. His name, Saib Erekat. Saib was passionate about Palestinian peace in a separate homeland, living side by side with Israel in peace. He didn't see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in religious terms. He thought it solvable at the negotiating table. Not imposed peace like the ridiculous land annexation proposal by Jared Kushner and President Trump, but he saw a real deal as something achievable. Even if Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu only believes in power through conflict, said Saib. Saib Arakat passed away this week from COVID-19. This interview was one of his last interviews, and I think it's worth your time. Joining me now from Jericho, which is, if you didn't know, is in the Jordan Valley, is Saib Erekat, the Secretary General of the PLO Executive. For decades now, he is one of the recognizable voices of the Palestinian struggle for a homeland for decades. Saib, you must be tired of all this. I can't, I can't be tired. I can't be tired. It's, it's, it's about li- uh, life or death. You know, three days ago, I buried my nephew, a 26-year-old, who was shot and killed by the Israelis in cold blood. And uh, if I get tired, it means more of the same. It means that the cycle of violence and killing of, will continue. And the only way to stop this is uh, to end this tragic situation is through peace and through the two-state solution. So how can someone get tired of trying to save the lives of his children and his grandchildren? I saw the video of your nephew as the, the, the car ran into the Israeli checkpoint. Um, and first of all, let me say, I'm very sorry for your loss. I mean, he was a young man. Was he 28? He was 26. And he was going to Bethlehem to bring his sister from the Kofair, the Salon, in her wedding day, 23rd of June, between 7 and 10 p.m. And if you notice the video, uh, the car sprayed. It was going five kilometers an hour. And then Ahmed tried to leave the car, if you see the video. And uh, he left the car, raised his hands, tried to speak to them, but they did not give him, give him a chance. They shot him five times and killed him in cold blood. And no one of them was threatened at that time. And uh, I'm sure that Ahmed, something went wrong with the car, the rented car. And would someone go and commit a suicide on the day of his daughter's uh, sister's wedding? Would someone promising as Ahmed, who has a printing company and, and so on? I, it's just, it's just they, you know, they kill with impunity. And then, if, as a Palestinian today, I cannot make a mistake. If I pass a soldier, I cannot put my hand in my pocket because he may shoot me, suspecting that I'm bringing something. I cannot fall. I cannot make any mistake. I cannot do anything. It's just trigger-happy killers in the roadblocks. I guess the, Isra- the Israelis would say that, you know, that to them seemed like an attack on their, on their post. But re- regardless, I mean, th- this shows, uh, you know, this, the way the two sides view each other. I mean, what one side views each other as, one side views one as a, su- a potential suicide bomber every time they come in contact with a Palestinian and Palestinians view Israeli soldiers as, as somebody that, that will turn a gun on them and pull the trigger. 
Well, well, look, I mean, last week they killed and murdered Iyad Halak, a 33-year-old autistic person in Jerusalem. He's Jerusalem. And then they said the same thing they said about Ahmed, that he's threatened their soldier and so on and so on and so on. So once the story came out, and this is what I'm asking today, for an international investigation. Because even if the car strayed and hit, whatever, I don't know what happened in the car. He left the car. He's unarmed. He's harmless. He's not threatening anyone. You shoot him five times? Why can't, you, why can't you stop him? Why can't you arrest him? Why can't you shoot him in the foot? Just, I mean, people must use their common sense to understand well, again, that. Again, let me say, I'm, with, I'm sorry. That, that's, that touches you personally. They act with ambiguity. It's not, you know, it's, of course it's personal. He's my nephew. This is the second nephew I've used in three years. Okay, let's, let's turn the clock. Let, let's, let's talk about the peace process. Um, because when I met you in the 90s, people don't realize now. I mean, there's already another generation or two. You know, suddenly, look, every day we used to go out and cover Israelis firing rubber bullets at Palestinians, Palestinian kids coming out of school, throwing stones and, and getting, getting shot and some would die, and some were mortally injured. And suddenly, you were the chief negotiator on a peace process called the Oslo Peace Accords. And Israeli troops pulled out of, and this may seem like a distant memory, but I mean, Israeli troops left Gaza to a large degree. They left Jericho, Hebron, Nablus, uh, Bethlehem. And suddenly, Palestinian kids, I remember, came out of school and they played games instead of throwing stones and in confrontations with Israeli soldiers. It was a extremely promising time. Doesn't it disappoint you? All these years later, we are still so far away from actually realizing a real peace process where the two sides are divorced. I agree with you. I, I don't think we have been uh, in a much worse situation than we are now uh, as Palestinians and Israelis, and I'm afraid that's going to get worse uh, due to the fact uh, that uh, the agreements reached with the Israelis in the 90s were not implemented. Settlement activities uh, continues, continued. And then it was culminated by the, an administration in the U.S. headed by people like Kushner and uh, Greenblatt and Friedman who, who believed that this issue is not for negotiations. God decided, they said, all the issues. And they came with this idea without, you know, I saw it like you did on TV about my future. And they wanted to impose and dictate on me, uh, you know, that Jerusalem is Israel's capital, no refugees, no borders, no self-determination, no state, nothing. And, um, and um, that's the tragedy. The tragedy at the end of the day is going to end when Palestinians and Israelis sit on the table in accordance with the terms of reference agreed between the two sides. Sit to what, do you, what do you call Jared Kushner's, you know, Netanyahu, Trump's, so-called deal that you didn't participate in? How would you characterize it? I, I read every word of it, and I met these people, you know, Kushner uh, and his team and President Trump, 37 times in 2017. They never shared anything with me. I shared everything with them. And uh, they're a group of ideologues who believe that uh, Palestinians are not people with national rights. They should be subjugated to Israel. They should be living in enclaves. And Israel should control their airspace, their territorial water, their international passages, their roads, 
their futures, their land, their natural resources. And um, they don't realize that we are 99% literacy rate as Palestinians, 2020. We have the highest PhD, masters, bachelors, holders as per capita. And yet they're trying to impose on us now. It's not a plan of peace. It's a plan of apartheid, of, of, of what I call one state, two systems. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a plan that is attempting not to learn the lessons of history. You know, when you come to annexations, so what happened when Algeria annexed France 430 years? What happened when Iraq annexed Kuwait in 1991? Annexation has been with those politically blind leader, <laughs> leaders who thought that power can get them the results they want. And what the did they offer you in return? What did they offer you in return? Some kind of financial prosperity and a buyout? No, they want me to join the Zionist movement in return. They put 10 conditions on me that I have to accept that from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean, it's the Jewish historic uh, uh, land. They want to deny the fact that, yeah, I'm speaking to you from Jericho, I'm 11,000 years old, I was here 5,600 years before Yosha ben Nun brought these Egyptians and came and buried my town, Jericho. I have my own narrative. I'm not asking them to believe in my narrative or to adopt my narrative or my story or my history or my religion, but they should respect me. Now, with, this, with the fact that it's written in this agreement by Kushner that from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean, it's the Jewish historic uh, land. I'm an, I'm an alien in my land. I'm, I'm, I'm an alien in my house. And then they say they have the overriding security responsibility. And they say, I have nothing to do with Jerusalem. It's their capital. I have nothing to do with refugees. That nothing is going to be in my hand. That's what they say. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's what they want me to do. And if I don't do that, oh, I don't want to negotiate. I want, I want conflict, I want peace, they use everything against me, and, and, and the heartless, I don't know, you know, when you have people around the world saying that we share the same values, what values, what values do you share? When someone like Pompeo say, I walk with Jesus to recognize settlements. Jesus, this is not who Jesus is. This is not who Jesus is. Jesus is for life. Jesus cares for the lives of Palestinians, Israelis, Africans, uh, Latins. Jesus is, is, is peace. All right. so, He's the so, prince of peace. He's not the so prince they are of going to They are going to announce, not a peace deal, not a negotiated anything, an imposed annexation, uh, which would carve out, as you understand it, carve out Palestinian villages, which would remain as Palestinian enclaves. Israel would apply some sovereignty over them, you won't get to vote in Israel, obviously, because you're not going to become part of Israel. It, it sounds like Swiss cheese, where you do not get this con, uh, continuous uh, piece of land, which would be a Palestinian state, because that's what you wanted. It's true. That's what the map they offered. That's what they showed. Uh, that's what they want. They said, even Netanyahu made an interview in Israel, in Israeli newspapers last month, and, and, and he said, look, Palestinians must understand that they will live in enclaves. Okay? That's, he said that. And so an enclave, so we, let's define an enclave. Sorry, Saad, to interrupt. An enclave is Bantos Town, trying to get you the map uh, that, he offer, that, that they offered in there. I'm, I'm visually losing you because you're moving your computer. But, uh, yeah, I'm moving. I mean, Go ahead. Are you seeing me now? Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to find a map. But essentially, you have the West Bank territory, 
and an, and an enclave would just be kind of a little island surrounded by Israeli roads, Israeli patrolled roads, Israeli soldiers, much like you are now. No, no, I'm now. I'm better now. <laughs> I'm much better now. I, I, it's, that's the irony, you know, with the Oslo Accords. We have three uh, contractual agreements that specified six issues that will be negotiated between the two sides, Jerusalem border settlement, refugees, water security. And no side should take any steps that may preempt or prejudge these issues. Yeah. And we recognized each other, and we said the implementation of resolutions 242 and 338 is the objective of the peace process. That's the truth. And then we said, uh, upon the inauguration of the council 18 months, all West Bank and Gaza Strip territory will become under my jurisdiction except for issues to be negotiated permanent status. What, they do, what, they, what they're doing now is saying, forget about UN, forget about international law. There is a new game in town. You were defeated. You must come to your knees and accept Israel won, and you will live here as we want you to live. We will decide your way of eating, drinking, studying, education, roads. You have no right to self-determination. You're not a people. That's what they're telling me, all right? And uh, what, what this will do, this will, this will do one thing. If they annex anything, it means the moderates, like myself, who recognize the Israel right to live in peace and security, who want to make peace through peaceful means, no violence, who accepted the resolutions 242 and 338, will play the disappearing act. And then, you know, as you, as you said now, it's a generation, generational changes now. So many in the Palestinian young community, which is the majority now, okay, they say, look, you don't want two states? Let's see if we can entertain the idea of one state equal rights. Jews, Muslims, and Christians can live as equals. Oh! Once you say this, it's like, like throwing a nuclear bomb in Israel. Because they want to say, Jewish democratic state. How can you have a Jewish democratic state when today I, Saab Erika, the Christian, Muslim, Palestinian, from my hometown, Jericho, on the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, I am 50.9% of the population. Friedman and Netanyahu are 49.1% of the population. How can you just think of people who are trying to impose a 21st century apartheid, segregation, and subjugation of Palestinians? All right, let me, yet, can, I just, can I just ask you from the Israeli side? Because... It, it, the Oslo Peace Accords allowed you uh, to arm, to patrol your own areas. Yes. And then suddenly, look, I was there between Israeli soldiers and Ramallah when it started falling apart. I, I was literally crawling on my hands and knees and on my chest when Palestinians opened fire after Israelis had opened fire. And, you know, I don't know who fired the first shot that day. But yeah. it, it rapidly unraveled to the point that, you know, fast forward in the, in the months and years, Israelis say, the left-wing Israelis who really believed in a peace process and, and don't want to be in the West Bank and don't want Gaza, mm -hmm. they said, okay, you can never arm these people because what all we got were bullets and bus bombs in mm -hmm. Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. And that left-wing really has largely evaporated, has it not? The peace movement inside Israel has, has evaporated, feeling greatly disenchanted with the idea that they would ever live side by side with a Palestinian state, especially an armed one. And that's what you get, Netanyahu, in 1993, when we signed the Oslo Accord. He stood up 
behind a, in front of a picture of Rabin, the prime minister at that time, put a kofiya in his head, and he said, if it's the last thing I'll do, I will bury this shameful agreement. Netanyahu is not a two-stater. So everything he did in his life was to destroy the two-state solution. He's, he's a man, I know him for 33 years. And when you, if I want to sum him up for you, I will tell you two things. One, he believes that there was no past before him and there will be no future without him. It's the ME syndrome, ME. That's what counts in his life. Secondly, ideologically, he believes that Israel is much more powerful and prosperous in conflict, not in peace. And, 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 and when you have an American president, who's his main ally, who also has a doctrine, President Trump, that nations either born to be strong or to find strong nations to protect them at the right price, you know, the jungle has a law, chaos has order. But if you combine Netanyahu's doctrine with Trump's doctrine, what do you get? What do you get? Do you, you, get, do you think, and I remember those days, because it's important what you say, because there were posters all over Jerusalem with Yitzhak Rabin in like the Arafat Kafia, and they were saying he was a, you know, I think in Hebrew they said it was Dean Rodef, and that was what, why, that's largely what led to his assassination. And the turning back of the peace process, even though Netanyahu said he would never turn the clock back on the peace process, there was no way of doing it. But in fact, he, he managed to turn the peace process back on its heels. Do you believe that there was another leader? If Rabin had lived, do you think that Oslo would have been implemented and we would be at a much different place than we are today? If Rabin had lived, we would have peace by now. We'd have two-state solution. If Ormort wasn't taken to jail and accused of these accusations, we would have had a, a, a peace. And every time an Israeli leader moves towards the real, reality of two states, some way, somehow, they make him disappear. So very quickly, if you could just answer kind of yes and no, so we can just run through the list. Um, access to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the Palestinian capital in this deal? No. R right of return or some compensation for, for refugees? No. A continuous piece of land, a homeland for Palestinians that go back to probably the 67 borders, including Gaza, with some kind of connection to Gaza? No. So what's in it for you? Surrender. And, uh, Surrender. They call it, yes, they call it peace based on the truth. And actually, he wants to destroy people like me and like Abu Mazen and like the Palestinian peace camp who want to live and let live, who have recognized the state of Israel, right to live in peace and security on 78% of historic British mandated Palestine and accepted to have a state on 22% of the land, West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem. He, he can't stand us. <laughs> they can't stand us. Because what do they say about us? We're a people who want to achieve peace through negotiations, nonviolence, uh, through the help of the international community. We want democracy, human rights, women's rights, the rule of law. So he really wants to execute all of us. He wants to execute the idea that peace is possible between Palestinians and Israelis. And when someone like uh, the, the, the ambassador, uh, Friedman, who says, it's not us who recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, it's God. So <laughs> Judaism, Judaism was never a threat to us as Palestinians. It's never a threat, it will never be a threat. Judaism is one of God's great religions. So in the 20, 21st century, when a group of people come to you and tell you that this is a religious conflict, 
What do you think they're doing? Don't you think that in my side, I have some people who refuse to shake my hands because I recognize Israel? Because they want to negotiate with Israel. And they insist in turning it into a religious conflict. This is not a religious conflict. Religion is, is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are for peace, saving lives. You know, our conflict is territorial differences, uh, narratives, national, and can be solved through negotiations. But this group of people, I mean, Israel, since 2017, they don't have national negotiators anymore. You know, in the past, I used to call my colleagues, who my counterparts. They say you don't negotiate. Point. They blame the Palestinians for not wanting to negotiate, for not accepting many deals that we were put before them. You know, <laughs> that's, that's that broken record they use. But ask, ask in Israel, tell them who is your chief negotiator? Who is the Israeli chief negotiator? Who's Saab Arikat's counterpart since 2017? They have none. They have none. Their chief negotiator is Friedman and Kushner. And I, in each meeting I had with Kushner, I urged him to, that he sit me up with the Israelis because I have no problem with the U.S. My problem is with the Israelis. I need to negotiate with the Israelis. And he refused. And then he just copied and pasted the most extremist positions of the settlers' councils and introduced it in the so-called plan of peace and prosperity. This, is, this, is the mo this, this group of people, this so-called American peace team has put Palestinians and Israelis at least 50 to 60 years back. Last question. It's always a tinderbox. Won't this cause another intifada or an uprising or more violence? I mean, it's not going to bring peace, is it? It's not going to bring peace. It's, it's, it's going to bring more suffering for Palestinians and Israelis. Uh, they know, you know, Palestinians will not accept to be subjugated, to live as slaves. Uh, look, I was 12 years old. I, I was born in this house in Jericho. I was 12 years old when the occupation came to my hometown, Jericho. I'm 65 with eight grandchildren now. Let's say they annexed the Jordan Valley, as they say, 94%, and I'll be in, in Cliff. What will change? Will I change my name? Will my grandchildren change their names? What will they do if they don't have hope in their minds, if they don't have the possibility of living in dignity and peace and freedom. All what I'm doing now is trying to keep the hope alive in the minds of Palestinians. All I'm telling Palestinians, don't despair. You're not alone. We can do it. But all what Kushner and Netanyahu and Trump are doing are telling Palestinians every day, no, don't listen to him. You will never be free. You will never have a state. You will never be independent. You'll never live in dignity. We will, you will have to live as a subject to the Israelis, an apartheid system. Yes, you, we're different. That's what they're telling them. And do you think Palestinians will stand on lines to accept this? They will defend themselves. They will defend themselves. Do you we hope for a them. change? Do you hope for just a change of, of administration in the White House later this year? Would that, would that at least get peace talks going? What I hear, I saw a letter yesterday, actually, of 189 congressmen and women that said no to annexation and no to the Trump plan. I saw 32 senators doing this. This is, I really appreciate this very much. I saw 222 Israeli generals, ex-generals, writing against annexation and, and against this and showing the dangers of this. I, I, I saw 192 nations worldwide standing shoulder to shoulder with me to say no to annexation, yes to negotiations, yes to this two-state solution. That gives me hope. But the time should come 
that these nations should tell Israel, should tell Netanyahu, if you move with the annexation, there'll be consequences. And, and that's what, that, 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 that what, what will stop him. But if he continues with the impunity, that he can do anything and get away with it, all right? He is not going to make peace. He's going to destroy any attempt to make peace with anyone. You know, annexation will mean the end of any possibility of a negotiated agreement between Palestinians and Israelis. Annexation would pose the, the best threat on Jordan's national security and internal security. The same thing to Egypt, same thing to the Arab world. Annexation would mean strengthening all elements in the Arab Muslim world who are extremists, who also want the conflict to be a religious one. That's a very dangerous game to play. You know, you cannot kill ideas with bullets. You cannot prevent ideas to travel with or without visas. If you want to defeat extremism in this region, and we should defeat extremism in this region, we should, we should defeat ISIS in this region, we should defeat all those who try to use God for their uh, political purposes and so on. And this can be done through two things. One is peace between Palestinians and Israelis. And my, my opinion, it's live and let live. It's a state of Palestine with East Jerusalem, its capital, to live side by side in peace and security with the state of Israel on the 67 borders. And secondly, democracy in the Arab world. And anyone who says Arabs are not ready for democracy is a racist. Cyberica, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. And that's our backstory. Rest in peace, Cyberacot, and may your dreams for peace between Israelis and Palestinians come to fruition. I'm Dana Lewis, and I'll talk to you again soon.